just want to mention one more thing, and that's base camp. Base camp is uh, mistakenly thought of as something that's for new people that come to our church, although it is that. It is not only that. Base camp is mistakenly thought of as a new believers class for uh, people that are new to the faith of following Christ. It is that, but it is not only that. It is for anyone that wants to launch forward in their walk with God. And that's what we're talking about today. So that's why I'm mentioning this, because I'm mentioning ahead of time what an action item can be for you if God touches you in this message. You just sign up online for Base Camp. It starts April 1st. God wants to move you forward in your life. How many of you want to see God's mission and God's promises fulfilled in your life? Raise your hands. Okay, if you haven't been to Base Camp... I want to encourage you to come because we speak of all these things that we're talking about today in base camp uh, in detail. So what, let's talk about what we're talking about today. This is the prelude. The topic is what Nehemiah knew. What Nehemiah knew is what was the changing and defining factor between things getting done and things not getting done. And you're going to see that as we ta- talk today that what he knew is what we need to know. If you think there's things in your life that God wants to do, that you have dreams of that, that to do, that you feel are inspired by God, then you need to know these things as Nehemiah knew them. So you're ready to hear them? Okay. In our, in our prelude today, we read this scripture. When word came to Sambalit, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. I know this is right in the middle of something, but I thought it's important that we stop here because it's a, it's a prelude. It gives us a picture of where we're at, the situation that we're facing at the beginning of chapter 6 of Nehemiah. If we look at the work so far, We've seen that there was terrible rubble that was all over the city. In chapter 4, it, it's, the Israelites said the rubble was so great that they could not rebuild the walls. You ever sense that in your life, that there's, there's rubble, that it seems a little overwhelming? There's many areas that are just a little too too high in your life that, that you're struggling with, things that maybe you've tried to avoid or, or things that you've tried to work on and, and they've just kind of escalated and escalated and now you have several of them. You know what happens to that? That can get paralyzing, right? And so this is kind of where they've gone past. The rubble was moved away and the walls, the gaps in the walls were filled. And that was a good thing. We have gaps in our walls, in our lives, and those gaps are created by devastation, attacks, and destruction. For us, it's not physical attacks. Our war is a spiritual war. We'll talk more about that later. But these attacks bring destruction. It brings rubble into our lives where the the walls are broken down and the enemy could just rush in right there, right in that wall. And you think, how did that happen? And you look over there and there's a, a gaping hole in the wall of your heart. And you realize that's how this happened. But God is a God that restores the walls. Aren't you glad? 
God is a God that heals and builds up. And that's exactly the place we're in here in Nehemiah 6. The walls, the gaps were filled, but the gates did not have the doors on them yet, which means that there was still a vulnerability. These gaps and these gates are areas in our lives where the enemy can come in and attack. And that's exactly what we see. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem saw the condition. They saw that things were moving forward. But guess what? The enemy hates advancement. He hates advancement. You ever wonder why you think like things are going really good? Like, hey, things are really working and, and, and God's really moving and I'm really encouraged. And, and then something else just comes right on top of it. When it rains, it pours. The devil loves to see us immobilized and he hates advancement. I sense as a church that we are advancing. How about you? We are advancing. We're seeing some great things happen in people's lives. The church is an interesting environment. You know, when you think about what is church about, it's about people, right? And Eric's talked about that, that we are the living stones. So when you think about the church advancing, you're, you're thinking about people that are, that are forever healed and ever changed and walking in their mission like we're going to talk about in just a minute. So with that advancement, the enemy just hates it. And if we want to look for just a minute at the condition of Israel's heart at this point. Because Israel, um, through Nebuchadnezzar, brought... Israel out into exile. He took Israel as they were an independent state and they were being led by kings, their own kings. And they had their own temple where they worshiped God Almighty and they were exiled by King Nebuchadnezzar. Why was that? It was an act of discipline of the Lord. Mm. God disciplines those he loves, huh? And so maybe if you're struggling, it might be discipline. The Lord wants to bring healing and wholeness. And that's exactly what he's doing here because he's coming full circle from that discipline point. Before he does, we see a lot of struggle because being in exile is a difficult thing. If you look at people that are in exile right now or they're living in an occupied country, look at Iraq. People that are occupied, their lives are in danger every day. Their lifestyle has been completely demolished. Isn't that right? That's what exile looks like. That's what occupation looks like. And that is basically the, 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 life, the life childhood experiences of Israel during this period. Is destruction and fear. And you can go further and you can see Daniel and, uh, during this exile and the things that he went through and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All their lives were being challenged. Do you think it was only them? I don't think so. I think the life of Israel was being challenged. When you think of also during the exile in the book of Esther and you think of Haman who almost destroyed the entire Jewish race, where would we be? We wouldn't have bagels. It'd be a problem. I mean, what would you do? I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. But he almost destroyed the entire Jewish race. So this is the childhood, in a sense. The childhood experiences, the traumas. 
and, and painful experiences that Israel as a collective community experienced. So and I want to bring it to you right now and to me and, and, and talk a little about our experiences and the painful things that we've experienced, the rejection that we've felt, the heartache that we've had, the fear that we have gone through in our lives. And we all know that, that we face that on a regular basis. This is, we're in a similar place like Israel is. And thank God, thank God for Nehemiah. And thank God for these principles. Because Nehemiah was able to take this group of people with this understanding of rubble and broken down walls and gates that weren't filled in yet, that protection wasn't there, they weren't fully healed, and he was able to take them and walk them through and see victory in their lives. You guys want to see that in your life? And we want to see that as the church, not just this local church, but the church of Jesus Christ in the world. We want to see this. So Nehemiah knew three things. Do you guys want to know these three things? I think these three things will help us to all walk through in the victory that God has for us. Nehemiah first knew his mission. He knew his mission. Let's read this. Sambalit and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great mission and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times, four times, they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah knew his mission. Here we have these governors, and that's who they were, Samblet and Tobiah and, uh, and Geshem. They were, they were governors. Governor's life was a, a pretty good life. You know, they, they really got taken care of, and they, they really had um, the best food, the best environments. I remember when I was in Israel, I saw some governor's ruins, and let me tell you, they look better than my house does here, you know? It was a nice place. They were thousands of years old, you know? It's a great, privileged life that these governors lived. And they, and they were enticing, enticing Nehemiah to distraction. Come, let us go to the plains of Ono. It's kind of like, let's go to Las Vegas and have a convention. Let's go to the plains of Ono. It wasn't much of a town, but it was far enough away to where Nehemiah would have had to stop his work and he would be completely distracted. And that is where the other governors called Nehemiah. The devil's tool is a tool of distraction first. Not only did he do it once, but he did it four times. It is a persistent tool that's in our lives. Have you seen that in your life? How easily it is to get distracted from the mission that God has for you? Man, I could just get distracted tomorrow, you know? I could get distracted just thinking about the Apple Watch. 
coming out right when my birthday is. I'm very excited. <laughs> That's not a hint. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to wait for the second edition. <laughs> but Nehemiah keeps on task. What does he say? Nehemiah called it a great mission. I am on a great mission. I am on a great mission. That is the thing that God spoke to him about, and he grabbed hold of it. One of the great trials in life, if you do not know God, is not hearing from God what your life is all about. It's one of the mysteries of life until you have God himself speak to you to your very being, to your very soul. This is who you are and what you are about. And that is one of the most freeing things in the world, isn't it? Those of you that have experienced that, it just sets you free. Do but hold on and to keep your vision focused on the mission itself. When God created us, it was not an afterthought. It was the primary thought. You ever think about that? It's not like God just said, okay, let's create man and we'll get the world spinning and I'm going to go off and do something else. No, this was all for the very purpose of us being the primary thought. We were created in God's image. And when we were created in God's image, God said, that was good. He didn't say it was good. He said it was what? Very good, very good. The whole narrative in the Bible is about our relationship to God. Don't you think he has an important mission for us? His thoughts are on us. Thousands of years of writing are written for the very purpose of us understanding who he is and who we are with him. No other purpose. That's all it was written for. Bible says that we were knit together in our mother's womb, that we were thought about and that we were called before we were even, even born and given things to do in God's mind and heart. Listen to what it says. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that awesome? This is, the, this is God who was thinking before you were even created, before your parents were born or your grandparents were born, ah, Ira has a great mission in life. I see it in my mind's eye what his life will be about. What a wonderful thing that is. God says that we are in the country we are in on purpose. Did you know that? God says that we are living in this time frame on purpose. Did you know that? God says that we are in the family we are in on purpose. And also the local fellowship that we are in on purpose. God has purpose. God has mission. This is his plan. This is what the word says. For from one man he made every nation of men, and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact place where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him 
though he's not far from each one of us. And then again, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You are not here by accident today. This might be your first day here. You were not here by accident. God arranged it. This might be the 10th year you're here. You are not here by accident. God has arranged it. God has a mission for you, a purpose for you and me that we need to grab hold of and run with. Do you have your mission from God? Or are you able to be distracted and are you living in Ono today? The world is easy. It is designed to distract us. Day in and day out, we are experiencing the things that can distract us from our mission with God. It would have been easy for the devil to distract Nehemiah if Nehemiah did not have his mission and know his mission. Do you know your mission today? To give glory to God, to serve him your whole life. Have you given everything over to him? If you haven't yet, if you haven't surrendered to the mission of God yet, you will be distracted. And if the devil can get us excited about something, even if it sounds good, there's a lot of good things out there. But what I've learned as a, as a Christian and as a pastor is the good is the enemy of the great. There's a lot of good things out there you could do. You could take care of the poor. That's a good thing, and we should. You can love your community and work for a nonprofit. You should, and it's a good thing. But what is your calling from God? That is God's direction for you. That is the great That's what you're called to. That's what God wants you to grab hold of. Anything else you can be distracted from. Anything else you will be disappointed in. Anything else will not have eternal eternal results. Even the good things. It's the thing that God has given you to do. Do that. Do that. The next area that Nehemiah knew, the next truth he knew, was his identity. He knew his true identity. It says then the fifth time, so now here there were four times, now here's the fifth time, and the enemy is changing the tactic just a little. Samblet sent his assistant to me with the same message, but not only that, he did a few other things. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And I've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You were just making this up in your head. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not get completed. But I prayed and the Lord strengthened my hands. Prayer is an important way to have your hands strengthened. So, the devil couldn't distract Nehemiah. And so he went on to another tactic. He has several tactics that he uses. When it rains, it pours. And the next tactic he used was fear. So let's look at this situation. Here it is. He, he sent someone four times. This is the fifth time. Now there's an unsealed letter. What does this unsealed letter mean? This unsealed letter is, it, it, it really says a lot because when governors send letters, they are sealed. They're not just sealed. They're in, they're, they're, they're in a case that cannot be opened. When it is opened, it is obvious that it is opened, and now it is a public record. But it's, when it goes from governor to governor, it should be sealed. The governor should get something that's sealed. He got an unsealed letter. Why do you think that was? Yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of gossip, don't you think? <laughs> Can you imagine how many footsteps and hands and eyes might have seen that letter that was now open to everyone? And in this letter is the accusations that even speaks of proof. Even Geshem says so. Even one of the other governors say this is true. Sambalat wanted to confer with Nehemiah. He said, this is a terrible thing. Doesn't the devil like to do this? He just says, let me help you with something. Come on over here. Come over here. Let's confer together. Never confer with the enemy. Never. Never have a discussion with the devil. Just stop it right there. Know who you are in Christ. Know your identity and do not allow the enemy to confer with you. He speaks, the devil speaks to people all the time, challenging their character. They're not good enough for God. Challenging their value. They're not loved enough by God. We're challenging their strength. They're not strong enough to get the job done. Don't listen to the enemy. The devil's weapon is the lie. But we have truth. And we need to stand on the truth of God. You know, we, we, in these life experiences that we have, they, they speak to us all the time, don't they? They're conferring with us. Oh, you really failed in that relationship. You, you must not be lovable. Oh, you're, you're really struggling with finances, so you must be a failure. And these circumstances confer with us. They loiter in our presence and speak to us on a daily basis. But we need to hold truth to what truth is. We need to know what our identity in Christ is so that these circumstances 
Do not bring us down and draw us down. I was speaking to somebody after first service. They said, these circumstances speak to him every day. And I said, then every day you need to grab hold of this and hold on to the truth. Amen? Amen. Every day you need to. If the devil thinks he has you, if he can confer with you and get you to convince and get you convinced to be listening to these things about yourself that are lies, then the battle's almost won and he almost has you disabled. We must remember and authoritatively take hold of the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to who? Christ! Christ! Every thought, whether it's coming from the outside or from the inside, because we could lie to ourselves, we need to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ's truth about who we are and who he is. The devil will use fear to scare us and weaken us. And so we see Nehemiah here just standing up and saying, nothing like that is happening. You're making this up in your head. The original language there is, it's a figment of your imagination. The devil just loves to make things up. That's exactly what he does. He'll look for an Achilles heel that you have and start making things up about you until you start seeing it as reality. Do you see that? I see it in my life. We need to know what our identity is, our true identity in Christ. And he will seal the deal with you if you start believing these lies about yourself. Because the reality is, this is what Neil Anderson said, no person can consistently live in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves or God. So eventually, you are going to start living the lie, whatever it is. Whatever that lie is, just fill in the blank. You know what the devil speaks to you. You know what your circumstances speak to you, what your, the rubble of your life speaks to you. It's all a lie. What is the truth? What is the truth? The truth is that God loves us. God loves us passionately. He's given it all for us that we can know him. He lavishly loves us. It's as far as the east is from the west, high as it is low. We cannot get out of the presence of the love of God. It's inescapable. That's the love that God has given us. There's nothing that we could do to lose it. This is the love of God for us. And we're adopted. We are adopted as children. You're a child of God. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You're not a slave. You're not an occupied exile. 
as your, the rubble of your life might say, the rubble of my life might say, we are children of God. And because of that, we're heirs. Heirs. What does an heir look like? He's just gained all authority, all power, all the reserves, all the resources of his family behind him. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we have. That's what we have behind us. We don't live like that sometimes, do we? Number three, Nehemiah knew his protection. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delala, the son of Methetabal, who was shut in in his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I, say, should a, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had sent him, that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me and Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. Because of what they have done, remember also the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. Nehemiah knew his protection. Here was the scene. These prophets are coming and they're prophesying his doom. He is going to be dead. That's it. Your life is over. And fear and intimidation are supposed to grip him. That was the plan that he would be intimidated to the point of stopping, to the point of running into the temple, the place where he could never go because he's not a priest, to run into that temple, and it would discredit him in two ways. One, because he would doubt God, and two, because he broke the rule of the temple that he was, a, that he was not able to go in there. Out of fear, he would run in. That's what they wanted him to do. Intimidation does that. Intimidation takes you to places where you should not be. Intimidation stops you from doing the things that you are supposed to do. Intimidation uh, um, takes away the trust and faith that you think you have to be able to be safe and to be able to move forward in your life. What are the false prophets in your life? I have a lot of false prophets that speak to me those circumstances in my life, some people in my life, and mostly myself that speaks negatively to me about things that intimidate me. I can't get up and share. How could I share? What do I have to offer? How can, how can I share something? It's, I, don't, I don't have what God has. I don't have what Eric has or Jody. That's the lie I hear. You hear your own lies. That's one of mine. Intimidation. What are the false prophets in your life? Again, Nehemiah used what he knew to help himself. And he said, shall a man like me run away? 
What is he saying there? This is so profound. Shall a man like me run away? Do you think he's got arrogance? Do you think he's sitting on his law? Uh, 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 um, what's that word? Those, that word, laurels. <laughs> I was going a bad direction there, I think. No. He was looking at who he was in God. Shall a son of God like myself run away? All the authority and all the power of God is behind me, and I'm going to run? Why does the church of God run? Because we do not know our protection. And so we hide and we're intimidated. We are not called to live like that. I tell you right now, we are in a season in this church where we are going to stand up to the enemy in our lives and say, shall a man like me run? That's God's call on our lives. And everything behind that is the understanding of who we are in God and who our protection is. Not in who we are, but who God said we were. Clearly, Nehemiah knew who he was and who God was in his life. Nehemiah can say, shall a man like me, because he knew a God like him. And that's what we need to know. We need to know God like never before. Church, we need to know. We have amazing things that God is calling us to do. The mission that God has given us as a church and as individuals is beyond our ability and beyond our comprehension. So we need to start believing God. The way to do that is to know God. Not just hear about him on a Sunday. Not just read about him in your Bible. But experience the very presence, the transforming presence of the love and grace and power of God that you need to be able to say, shall a man like me run away? We need to do that. We need to seek God in a new way. I don't know about you, but for me, every three days I need to be shaken by God and say, say, oh yeah, it's not about just reading. It's not about just praying. It's not about just checking that box off. It's about you, God. It's about you and being in your presence and experiencing your love. A good Example of someone who was like this is David. David, before he faced Goliath, which is about as intimidating as you can get for a young guy, don't you think? Here's the the whole army of Israel. They are just stifled. They cannot move. But David... Because he was able to believe God in little things every day. He was able to 
kill that beast that was going after his sheep, that lion, that bear. He did that. Those were small pickings compared to Goliath, but he was able to do it. Let me give you a little hint. David was David who could slew, slew Goliath because David was the one who was obedient down here and threw a rock at a bear or a lion. Everyday obedience, walking in everyday obedience brings you to the place where you could see a Goliath and see the victory. You think to yourself right now, just sensing this from the Lord, this is a nice idea, Ira, but I just can't do it. The, the, the false prophets in my life are just speaking too loud. Let me tell you, you can. Let me encourage you today to take one point of believing God in your life. One area, one small little thing of obedience. And we're going to have that opportunity in just a minute here to just respond to the Lord. It could be as simple as that, just responding to his word today. One small step will lead you forward. And each day, just take the next one. That's what leads you to become someone who could slay a Goliath. This is that situation with Goliath and David. And Goliath said, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Such intimidation, such threats. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass, your carcass to the Philistine army, to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered there will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all into your hands. Amen? This is what David knew. He saw that great threat, that intimidating personage, 10 feet tall-ish around there. We don't know exactly. I can imagine being five foot six or seven or eight, whatever, I am right now. And just thinking, okay, I'm going to handle this. But because he knew his God, because he knew his mission, because he knew his true identity, because he knew his protection, he was able to see Goliath slain. You have issues in your life that God wants to deal with. All of us do. These are three things. If you know them, you will walk in victory. We're going to close with the epilogue right now. This is what it says at the end. So the wall was completed. Isn't that awesome? On the 25th of Elul, in, the fifth, in 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. 
because they really realized that the work had been done, had been done by the help of God. When are we going to start realizing that ourselves? Worship team's coming forward so that we can respond to him with worship right now. What an amazing thing to think about. There's three th- few things in the scripture that are, that are important. Because Nehemiah knew about his mission. He knew about his identity in Christ. And he knew about his protection. In 52 days, the job was done. What do you need to be done in your life right now? Do you want to see it accomplished? God's going to do it. There's going to be an end to it. I'm not just saying that right now. I sense in the Lord that the things that you see stoppages in right now, God wants to bring resolution to. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to stand up. Do you have something in your life right now that God just, you've been just thinking, I wish this would end. Uh, God, I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough in my life. In 52 days, it was done. 52 days, it was accomplished. The walls were closed and the doors were placed on the gates and the enemy had no entrance. Because Nehemiah knew these things, the enemy lost his strength. And you know what? The enemy needs to lose his strength in our lives. We have listened to him far too much. We need to grab hold of the truth of God today and let the enemy become as powerless as he truly is. Do you guys agree? And because Nehemiah knew these things, God was glorified. God was glorified for they realized that the work that had been done had been done with the help of God. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen in the area in your life that you're standing for right now. You do not have to be a slave like Israel was, to fear, to intimidation, or distraction. You are set free. I am set free. I preach this because this is, this, this is the message from my life. All the bondage, all the rubble that I faced in my life. If we could live free, the way Jesus Christ paid on the cross for us to be free, he said is for freedom that I have set you free. Let's walk in that today. Let's respond with this worship song. And I just want to encourage you, the base camp team's going to come forward and they'll pray for you. During this song, come forward. Take a step of obedience. Come forward. If this is you and you have a blockage in your life, God wants to set you free in, okay?